Ever since I was a small boy, I've been obsessed with movies, books, and music. But as I grow older, I've begun to realize that these things increasingly miss the mark of fulfilling who we are meant to be. But they seem to have a common theme. They point us to a greater story, a greater adventure, a greater love, a greater joy. On this show, we dive into some of our favorite themes in songs, books, and movies so that we can begin the discussion of what our fascination with these stories actually reveal. A desire for something more. A desire for the unknown. A desire for love. A desire for God. Welcome to the adventure. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Christ in Culture. This is Clint. I'm up here in Iowa, where... It is freezing. It has yet to get above 32 degrees since I got here the other day. So hopefully that'll warm up a little bit, but it's Christmas, so you never know. And I'm here with one of my former high school teachers in my high school, Beckman Catholic. This is Anthony Digman, Star Wars expert and extraordinaire. Maybe not quite. (laughs) We do our best. Yeah. So Mr. Digman here, he's a huge, huge nerd like myself. So we, I remember... I think it was my senior year. I don't know if you remember this, but May the 4th showed up, me and a bunch of my friends, with a bunch of lightsabers into your classroom. <laughs> it, was, it was quite the experience. I think we had a little bit of a, a little lightsaber duel, but that was a while ago. I think that was probably six years ago. So. You got to have that. Weapons in <laughs> school are only okay if they're plastic and they light up. Exactly. So that was a good time. We always had good conversations about Star Wars. So with the new release of the new Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi, which this episode will not be about, so don't worry about spoilers. All the spoilers in this episode will be from the prequels or the the original three from the trilogy. So if you haven't seen The Last Jedi yet, don't worry about it. We'll we'll worry about that on a a future episode. So, But one of the the main themes that we kind of wanted to look at was this idea of this redemption. You know, so we start with... This idea of Anakin, who is kind of portrayed in the prequels as the best. You know, he was the chosen one. And in, in the movies, he kind of, you slowly see this, this conversion of him to the dark side. And the, he's not the only one that turns, but, you know, this idea of anyone can fall. But in the end, and we see this in, in the original trilogy, it's not too late for him, you know, when, when he is confronted with choosing between serving the emperor or choosing the love of his son, he chooses love and, and this idea that love prevails over evil and in a way, sin. And we'll kind of talk about that later, too, of how sin is kind of portrayed throughout. But what do you think about that kind of the idea of redemption in the first six movies there? Well, it certainly seems like when George Lucas made Star Wars, he wanted to include the element of choice. Everybody has a choice. So in terms of his audience, he was very aware of that. And he's made comments that he he wants to provide something with Star Wars that's not only entertaining, but also has a little bit of deeper value and opens us up and allows us to think about things more deeply. And when you're looking at characters, I think, in literature, film, etc., it gives the character additional depth when they're not just a good guy or just a bad guy. 
you have this opportunity where, you know, as you put it earlier, even the best people can fall. You yeah. know? So even though Anakin is the chosen one, he's also kind of a loose cannon, and it's a little difficult. Can we trust him? Uh, the Jedi Council struggles with that in the prequels. Mace Windu expresses his reservations. Yoda has his reservations. Doesn't even want Anakin trained originally. You know, but... If he is the chosen one, which it turns out that he is, of course, you know, he has this great ability to be able to help. So there's not a perfect correlation for the Christian who wants to tie, you know, Anakin as the chosen one to Jesus Christ as the Savior, Messiah, chosen one there. Mm -hmm. Because certainly Anakin is, is fallible, but that allows us to relate to him uh, and his humanness and his brokenness and his weakness and the temptation that occurs, which are all major themes that are explored in Star Wars and I think make for a very compelling story. Yeah, and... To me, it's a little hopeful, this idea that even the best of us can fall, but because of Christ's love, and if we, we choose that love and choose his forgiveness, it's never too late, you know, so that idea is really hopeful for us. Right. Yeah, hope is definitely uh, another piece there. You know, hope in Star Wars, uh, Master Yoda says at one point, always hope there is. You know, there's always this opportunity to turn back. You know, so no matter how bad and dire things get, which usually occurs in the second of a trilogy, <laughs> it's the act two of your three-act play, yes. Things, everything's going bad. But in Star Wars, as in life, there's always hope. Things could always be worse. There's always opportunities. Even people who are evil and that we think could never come back still have the, the potential for redemption. So so, you know, that's another element of life and, and ties into Christianity certainly nicely. Yeah, and something I think that's really cool with Anakin and a bunch of the other main characters too, Luke and Rey, you, you see all this great potential, this great power come from really unexpected places. You know, Luke was a farmer. Anakin was a slave. Rey was just a junk collector. And especially in, in these the newer movies, they've really been talking about, well, where do they come from? And these are the most powerful Jedi of all time, at least that's the way they're kind of portrayed. And I think this reminds us a lot of kind of our own our own call and, and the unexpectedness of the Messiah. So when Jesus came, they were expecting this great warrior who's going to take down the Roman <laughs> Empire and just destroy all their enemies. But they got this baby in a manger who turned out to be a carpenter, you know, and they're they really thrown off by that. And it kind of parallels there a little bit. And then we go into his adult life and he starts calling the apostles and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? These are fishermen and tax collectors. Like we got these super holy guys over here. You should choose them. And it's all this unexpectedness. And he chooses kind of the weak and the sinners to lead the strong. And that's a really interesting parallel, I think, to how the, the main characters of the story are kind of coming from these unpredictable places. And we talked a little bit before we started recording about Joseph Campbell and kind of where that came from. So you want to explain kind of what his thoughts are on that? Sure. So when George Lucas was originally writing his script for Star Wars, which he intended to be one film, and then eventually it just got too big and became a, a trilogy for him, and they just started with the original Star Wars and New Hope in 1977, one of his primary sources of information was Joseph Campbell. Uh, and Joseph Campbell was, he was really interested in mythology. One of his most important books that influenced George Lucas was The Hero with a Thousand Faces, or A Hero with a Thousand Faces. Mm -hmm. Basically what Campbell's interest was is he wanted to look at myth stories across cultures and across millennia to try to find the common threads in human storytelling. What, what are the popular stories we have? Beowulf, uh, Arthur, uh, certainly Old and New Testament characters, Asian characters, mythological characters. He, he really wanted to encompass the entirety of human mythology. Campbell wasn't interested in whether or not 
any of the stories were true. For example, Jesus having actually lived historically, he was just sure. interested in the common threads. And one of the things that Campbell noticed in mythology is that your hero usually comes from one of two spectrums. Either usually they're a nobody, they come from nowhere, and that would have been Jesus, of course, or they come from very high up. They're a prince or a princess, you know, somebody super important. Interestingly, the way George Lucas played this into Star Wars is you get a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. So first we get Luke, 1977, your moisture farmer in A New Hope, right? So he's a nobody, you know, and, and we relate to that as an audience because... The church has this universal call to holiness. We're all called to holiness. We're all called to be saints. We're all called to greatness in heaven, you know. And many of us are, in a sense, nobodies. And we go through that with Luke and we identify with him. And eventually Luke's character, as he progresses through the story, it turns out that he's Darth Vader's son. And it mm -hmm. takes us a while to get there. So it's not that Luke Skywalker is a nobody. He's an incredibly important somebody who gets dumped off on this, you know, desolate Tatooine desert world. So his character becomes more complex because it has both sides. It has right. the yeah. nobody and then it has the everybody. And we get the same thing basically from Anakin in the prequels. We get the nobody, the slave. Oh, but wait a minute. He had no father. He was immaculately, not immaculately conceived, but miraculously conceived, if you will, with Shmi Skywalker and the force, you know, how that works in Star Wars. We right. don't know exactly. But, and then, you know, Anakin's not you know, so he's nobody, he's just a slave, but then, oh, wait, he's the chosen one. And then there's this complexity with his character. But I think what we can take away from this as Catholics is the opportunity to relate to both. Because in essence, we're all sinners, we're all broken, we're all nobodies, we all enter this world un under the stain of original sin. And then, especially with our baptism, we become incredibly important. We become adopted sons and daughters of God. So when Joseph Campbell had kind of the either-or approach in terms of mythology, and then people would relate to that one way or the other. George Lucas made it more complex and beautiful, I think, by bringing in both elements. Right. Uh, we, I think we can relate to both. Yeah, and, and I think that's exactly what this podcast was created for without even realizing anything about Joseph Campbell or his, his research. But this idea that within all these stories, we relate to these characters because we see the, the nobody becoming the somebody, and, and we desire that because that's what we were made for. You know, like you were talking about through our baptism and our relationship to the Father, that is who we become. We become somebody, or as you said, everybody. Uh, yeah. This, the, the more ultimate example of it. Well, and that relates to Christ so well, too, because like you said, he comes from in a manger, he comes ultra humble, yeah. and but yeah. he's the savior of the universe. He's God incarnate. You know, speaking of Joseph Campbell briefly, uh, a slight disclaimer that I'd like to add on that. You know, he has some great research, but when you're taking a look at all the different myths that he accessed and trying to distill down basic ideas, sometimes there's some oversimplification that can happen. Uh, and my biggest criticism of Joseph Campbell is that he's not interested in the truth behind the myths. He was just interested in the story. Mm -hmm. And I think that Joseph missed a lot in his research by not considering the importance of that. Because, you know, whether or not Robin Hood lived or King Arthur lived or whether or not the Odyssey took place the way that it's written in the story, whether or not Jesus Christ was a real historical person, suffered, died, was crucified, really rose from the dead or not. I mean, that that actually means everything. Yeah. You know, uh, Joseph Campbell would say that's just a story and, you know, here's the significance as a myth. But I think for us as Christians and Catholics, you know, the truth claims behind that are ultra important because because is he who he says he is or not? Did he rise again from the dead or not? That means everything in terms of eternal life and, and who we are. Yeah, I think looking into that, if, if he would have gone a little bit deeper, we would have been able to see 
Okay, if it's just a story and, and it's not necessarily true, well, this tells us what are we desiring? You know, like why are we telling this story? What's well, because it's trying to teach us something or it's trying to show something that we desire for ourselves. Whereas if it's reality, well, it's, it's telling us what is, you know, and we can kind of see where that overlaps a little mm-hmm. bit. So that would have been really, really interesting. But before we got started, we talked a little bit about the, the Jedi and the priesthood. And I actually saw an article the other day, I didn't get a chance to read it, kind of talking about this. Jedi and the priesthood and how there's kind of this overlap of how maybe George Lucas even created the Jedi kind of based around the the Catholic priests, even to the extent where they take certain vows, right? And we can talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit. But they are these protectors of wisdom. And I think that's that's really important if you look at throughout the, I guess you can call it mythology or, or canon of, of Star Wars, the Jedi have always been the protectors, not just of the people, but of the records and mm-hmm. the wisdom. And we see this a little bit in the, the prequels, you know, when they go to the library and you see all these records and a little bit in the video games, if you're on the kind of the more geeky side, you can see into the older public and stuff and how the Jedi have always been the protectors of this knowledge. And if we look into kind of the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, the priesthood and, and the monastic life, that, that has always been the protector of wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when society kind of put off and w- was destroying books and, and art and all of this, the church protected it. And mm-hmm. it, it, it always has. It's always been a protector of this wisdom and, and trying to share that. And even to the point where we created schools and universities and stuff to try and spread that out a little bit more. But even going off of that, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the vows and the evangelical councils a little bit? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'll also add not only the wisdom, but the culture. I mean, you were hitting on yeah, that with the art yeah. and, and things related to that. Yeah. Uh, and how the Catholic Church, especially the respect for tradition in the church, that it's not just about sacred scripture, helps us understand God and God's plan and salvation history, but it's also the tradition of the church. The Jedi certainly have that appreciation that it's not just about the texts. It's also about, you know, who are we? Where do we come from? What does that mean? Um, how do we work? You know, what is what is Jedi culture versus what is Catholic culture? That kind yeah. of stuff. But yeah, one of my favorite things about the Jedi and the priesthood are the evangelical councils, the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience that you can see among the Jedi. So let's start with obedience first. The Jedi are part of an order, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, monastic. Um, they have a leadership. The Jedi High Council is made up of Master Yoda as the uh, Grand Master and then Mace Windu second, but there's ultimately a group of 12, which of course has your 12 tribes of Israel, your 12 apostles, you know, great imagery in Judeo-Christian background and history. And then from there, you work your way down. You know, they have a hierarchical structure, which is not a popular thing in our society. But within Catholicism, of course, that's an integral part of who we are, right. is that we have this hierarchical structure. So Yoda kind of emulates a a papal figure, if you will, and then the Jedi High Council is kind of like your College of Cardinals, perhaps, and then you have your masters, because not all of those who are on the Jedi Councils are on for life. You know, they rotate. Some mm-hmm. some of the chairs rotate. So you can be a master, I suppose, and not be on the council. So you have your bishops, and then, you know, you have your regular Jedi, and then your Padawan, your younglings, etc. So it's very hierarchical, like Catholicism. And obedience is necessary. I mean, the Jedi are not 
a pure military force. It's not an obedience, you know, to orders per se. It's it's also more of a family type structure, which becomes a little bit more Catholic. That you know, we our obedience is not an obedience out of I must do this because of force or force will be used against me. And I mean that in terms of physical force, not the force of Star Wars, <laughs> but love. It, it's a family. Yeah. You know, the Jedi, they grew up in the temple. They're, they're, uh, they leave their families very young to commit themselves to the Jedi order. And it, there is a love. It is a family. So like Catholicism, the obedience is it's more love-oriented or ought to be. Unfortunately for many people, it, it's more of a threat you know, approach. Right. But I don't sure. think that that's what God had in mind or Jesus had in mind establishing the church. So obedience, there's definitely, definitely obedience there. Poverty is another one. The Jedi give up owning things. Right, mm -hmm. uh, and in the prequels, Anakin talks about this—that you know we can't really own anything. So it allows them a, a life of great simplicity, you know, which is something that I think most of us—I certainly need—in this modern world is, is having less and being able to appreciate those things more and doing great things with those. Uh, which reminds me a lot of people in a monastic situation, where in the Clone Wars, for example, if you're into the animated series, this man I'm in my 30s, now, <laughs> I'm admitting to watching cartoons, but hey, it's uh, all right. <laughs> I enjoy the Clone. <laughs> Wars a lot. There's some great stuff there. These Jedi are responsible for armies and they command ships and legions, etc. And yet they don't really own anything. They right. only own their lightsaber and their their tunic. You know, that's about it. And if you think about uh, the lightsaber, they they talk a lot about how it's it's more than just a weapon, but it's some very very special item to the Jedi. And I think it can kind of be compared in a way to the Rosary, you know, or, or to mm. prayer. You know, how how that is our our weapon as Catholics sure. against kind of the battle that, that we're fighting. And it kind of simplifies it down for us that well, they have, like you said, just a robe and and this weapon and that's it. And, and yet they're so powerful and it kind of helps us to overlook some of the things that we feel like we need, you know, that, mm -hmm. that we don't actually need. Uh, sure. And just simplifies it down for us and, and shows us the, the power of poverty. Sure. I think. So I think that's a really powerful thing too. That definitely opens the door to, you know, conversation that goes beyond our scope here, but spiritual warfare, yeah. how that ties in. You know, oh, yeah. I, I like that imagery of the rosary operating as a, a lightsaber piece. Harkening back to Joseph Campbell here briefly, he noticed in stories, usually you have this sacred object, which is going, this tool sure. that is yeah. going to help the, the hero or heroine defeat evil and achieve their goals, you know. So for the Jedi, that is their, that is the lightsaber, mm -hmm. right? For us, I mean, it can be many things, sacraments, Eucharist rosary devotionals you know all that kind of stuff but i think another thing that you're hitting on here that star wars brings out is that these physical elements have mm -hmm. value and yeah. that we we don't need to neglect those we can use those as god knew we'd need to that's why we have sacraments that take physical form and give us invisible grace yeah i think that's a perfect comparison actually that's really good do you want to hit into kind of the last one here real quick? Chastity, you yeah. bet. So um, as we learn more, especially in detail in Attack of the Clones, especially when An Anakin has his feelings for yeah. Padme and she's questioning him about this and the prudence of what's happening in the relationship, you know, he explains that they, they can't have attachment to things. They can't be in love in the affectionate sense, you know, in the romantic sense, I suppose we should say. But he says we can love in the compassion sense, which right. he sees as, as uh, the ultimate kind of love, which, I mean, there's a lot of truth there. You know, the agape love is, is if you will, the Christian 
ultimate kind of love, the selfless, compassionate love. But Anakin, he's twisted in his head. He doesn't mean it just in that way. He has the romantic interest, of course. For sure. And rarely do we all have, you know, perfect intentions in everything that we do. No. You know, so again, this allows us the opportunity to relate to him. But yeah, in the Jedi, we see poverty, chastity, and obedience. And I think you can relate that to the priesthood, religious life, monastic life. You know, there's some great connections there. Yeah, and I think, like you said, they really hit that in in the prequels between Anakin and, and Padme there. But kind of looking into the original trilogy, so we have the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Alec Guinness. And so before we were, we were kind of setting up for today, we were, we were talking a little bit about Alec Guinness and kind of his story. And he actually converted to Christianity. Uh, was he Catholic or Christian? Not originally. So uh, Sir Alec Guinness was British, of course, uh, yeah. and an actor. He mm-hmm. had tried out many different religious ideas throughout his life. He was pretty open to those, including atheism. So he, he tried out a lot of different approaches and liked elements in each of them and disliked elements within each of them. But in 1954, he was playing the part of, a, or it could have been in 53, the movie came out in 1954. He was in France and he was dressed up as a Catholic priest and he was on a break, but still dressed up in costume. And he was walking around and this French boy comes up to him and, and was talking to him and was really excited to see him. And Alec kind of tried to have this conversation with the boy and walked with this boy. And he remembered reflecting coming out of that uh, experience that any church or any religious group like the Catholic priests who could inspire this level of confidence and trust in a child the way that this happened could not be all that he had heard Catholicism was. He must have had some pretty negative connotations related to it. So he explored Catholicism a little bit. He dropped into Catholic churches when he was in the area, became frequent at praying in them. I'm not sure if he was attending mass, but at one point his son became sick with polio and he basically made a deal with God and said, I'll become Catholic. I'll convert to Catholicism (laughs) if my son survives. And his son survived and Alec converted and eventually his wife and his son converted. And it seems like kind of a shallow thing, but he did this about midway through his life, and he remained Catholic for the rest of his life. And as he was nearing death around the year 2000, uh, there's a quote that I, I found in my research uh, that I put together a book this last year on Catholicism and Star Wars, which I'm in the process of trying to publish at present. But he said, if I have one regret, it would be that I didn't take the decision to become a Catholic in my early 20s. That would have sorted out a lot of my life and sweetened it. And I think that's a profound testimony from Sir Alec Guinness that he recognized from the original Obi-Wan Kenobi, if you will, that Catholicism is so true and so beautiful. And his way of getting into it was must have been God's plan. The Spirit must have been working to open that door and he was willing to explore it and then came to appreciate it so deeply. Yeah, and that really shows kind of the depth of the Jedi. Uh, we have this connection between the Jedi and the priesthood to the point where even this, this little boy, he said he was from France, and role as as priest in a different aspect, but as a priest through baptism, mm-hmm. uh, through, through ordination. Nice. Uh, so I think that's an interesting connection there as well. But yeah, I, I really want to hit on that as well since, since you brought it up. Anthony is, like I said, a brilliant when it comes to Star Wars, but he's also brilliant when it comes to the church. So he's also in the process of writing a book. You've already published one book on uh, natural 
family planning. Correct? Sure. Church is teaching on natural family planning and Catholicism. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, contraception. Yeah. And then now you're working on uh, this one for, for Star Wars and Catholicism and kind of how those play together, which is perfect for this podcast. <laughs> of course. But you're also a national speaker as well. Too, yes, right? so indeed. You, so yeah, I do some speaking in addition to teaching full time. And I did get the book done on Star Wars and Catholicism, did some research last spring, basically got it done this fall. I'd really like to send out some shout outs to people who helped me with that. Fellow co-teacher here, Jerry McGrain, good friend of mine who works for the vocations office at the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, Andrew Miller. Fellow teacher here, Chad Thomason, Father Noah Deem, uh, who's a good friend in the Archdiocese of Dubuque here, and my brother, Father Kyle Digman, and then my parents, Brother Craig Digman with Glen Mary Home Missioners and Bobby Purnell, my mom, who recorded Star Wars for me off of television in the <laughs> 1980s, you know, and my brother and I watched this, you know, replete with 1980s commercials while growing up, and that's what got us into Star Wars in the first place. Right. So our parents' interest in it, sharing that with us, definitely got us started, and both my brother and I just love it. So Father Kyle and I have a good time going to see uh, opening nights of Star Wars films and all kinds of stuff. It's yeah. Good, it good all, times. All starts in the domestic church, right? There it is. <laughs> there it is. There you go. So I was actually listening to one of your talks that you, you had shared on your website. I was doing a little creeping before since we, we hadn't talked to each other in research. a couple of years. Yeah, research. <laughs> we'll call it research. But I was I was on your website and I was trying to see like where you've been and stuff. And I, I saw on Facebook a while back that you had given a talk on Star Wars and Catholicism. So I was pretty excited. So I was kind of listening to a few excerpts of that that you had on your website. And one of the things you brought up was the aspect of faith. And you gave this really cool analogy of Luke and Yoda on Dagobah and kind of that relation there. Do you want to kind of hint on that a little bit? Yeah, I think one of my favorite scenes in all of the Star Wars films is in Empire Strikes Back when Luke and Yoda are on Dagobah. And I oh, love yeah. the training. I love the spiritual aspect that Yoda tries to hand on to Luke. Uh, but my favorite scene is when the X-Wing is sunk in the swamp. And Luke is in the process of working with Yoda in terms of lifting some rocks. And Yoda says, well, basically, why don't you try to lift the X-Wing out? And he's like, no way. This is not like lifting rocks. This is an X-Wing fighter. So Luke tries and he gives it a shot. And, and of course, there's that great line, uh, I'll give it a try. And Yoda says, no, try not, do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> so Luke begins and he starts to be successful at it. And then R2-D2 starts to beep excitedly and that must distract Luke or something. And then the X-Wing sinks deeper than it ever had been. And he, he just says, I give up. It's too big. I can't do it. And Yoda says, you know, look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? Right, you shouldn't, okay? Because the, the force is so much more powerful than that. Well, Luke, like all of us, he gives up. You know, we have our moments where we give up. And he goes and he sits down. So Yoda extends his hand and patiently closes his eyes, summons the power of the force, and then R2-D2 starts beeping as the X-Wing starts to lift out of the swamp. This gets Luke's attention. Luke comes back to the edge of the swamp and watches as little insignificant, seemingly insignificant Yoda lifts the X-Wing fighter from the swamp, carries it across the edge of the swamp, sets it down on dry land. Luke walks around it. He touches it as if it couldn't even be real, comes back to Master Yoda and says one of my favorite bits of dialogue, I don't, I don't believe it. <laughs> to which Yoda responds, that is why you fail. 
And it gets to this aspect of faith and how important faith is. And faith, right. I mean, if there, there are several correlations between Star Wars and Catholicism, but I think one of the most powerful is the importance of faith. And in Scripture, Jesus tells us, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. You know, and in a sense, we see, and whether or not that's literal or metaphorical in terms of our spiritual life and things of this world, that can be debated. But, you know, in Star Wars, you see it both. You see it literally and figuratively. And there's one more connection in Scripture that I like to draw here. When Jesus is walking on the water and Peter's in the boat yeah. with the apostles, and he says to Christ, you know, command that, I'll, that I may come to you. And Jesus, you know, says, so be it. And G Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking along on the water, and then he gets distracted. It's like Luke when R2-D2 started beeping. You know, and he gets distracted, and then with Luke, the X-Wing starts to sink, and with Peter, Peter starts to sink, right? And then Jesus comes along, and he grabs a hold of Peter's arm, and he says to him, of course, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, and that just, for me, harkens back beautifully to what's going on between Christ, uh, this element of faith with Yoda and Luke, and I think that that's probably why it's my favorite scene in all of Star Wars. Going to the, the walk on the water, something that always blows my mind is it says... And he reached out and grabbed him immediately or something, depending on the translation, but immediately. And it just really shows how much of a difference our, our faith actually has. You know, as soon as we, we reach back out, Christ is always reaching out to us. And as soon as we, we reach back out, that's when the connection happens. But right. it, it's our, our distraction, like you mentioned, our, our stubbornness that kind of gets in the way of that so yeah for the jedi the force is always there and for us god is always there Ooh, i just had some connections with the the new movie there but we'll save that for another episode of course so. <laughs> all right so kind of moving on though we talked before we were recording here about a few other quotes that you thought were really spot on from star wars and i think everyone's personal favorite whether you're a star wars fan or not you know May the Force be with you. Sure, I think that there's a lot of little ways that Star Wars connects with Catholicism. I mean, these are the kind of ways that it ripped and, and they're wearing a lot of dark clothing and they've got this, uh, you know, chains and tattoos and this Darth Vader shirt on. You could say, oh, Darth Vader, gosh, I love him. Don't you love how Darth Vader is a great example of heroic self-sacrifice like Christ? You know, and then you, <laughs> then you can open up the door to share Catholicism with him. I mean, why not? But, you know, there's a lot, like you said, may the Force be with you is common in Star Wars. Uh, and that reminds me of, you know, may God be with with you. So that's a lot like May the Force Be With You. And Obi-Wan Kenobi talking to Luke, that reminds me a lot of uh, Jesus in, I believe it was Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, 20, when he says, I am with you always until the end of the age. That the Force will always be with us, just a little there, I think, that speaks to us as people. I think that there are examples of intercessory prayer, examples of the communion of saints, especially with your Force ghosts, your Yoda, your Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, it's great to see them back and to remember that that when this earthly life ends, it's not all over. We still have those in purgatory. We have those in heaven. And another cup, this is really nerdy, but even in history, things based around the destruction of the Death Star in episode uh, four in A New Hope. So everything that happens prior to that event is considered BBY or before the Battle of Yavin or ABY after the Battle of Yavin. So the recent movies that are coming out are somewhere in the ballpark of 34 ABY, you mm -hmm. know, so even the dating that they use in the Star Wars galaxy has a vanity in Catholicism and how we date from Christ. Right. Pretty common thing to respond, well, may the force be with you and, and with your spirit. You know? <laughs> so we have that just kind of ingrained in us that that's kind of our reaction because we, we naturally see that connection and we experience that. But going back to some of the videos that I heard, something that I really liked that I never caught before because I ne never really got 
deep into the, the animated series of Star Wars is you compared one of the characters, Quinlan Voss. Sure. So I, I like to explore different ways, of course, that Star Wars ties to Catholicism because I love both of them. Mm-hmm. But charisms, you know, the Jedi have various charisms and different gifts in the Force. Like, and, and they are different. They have different gifts. They develop other ones that are areas of weakness. And we have similar things in our spiritual life. Some people may be better at prayer, some better at service, some are better at teaching, you know, all of those different kinds of things. So we all have these natural charisms of the Holy Spirit and then unpack those for the good of the gospel and for the glory of God. But with Quinlan Voss, Jedi Master Voss, he has this gift called psychometry. So he is able to touch an object and he's able to understand the feelings and emotions and the scene in which its owner was present when they had touched it. So there's times when he's touching a glass and he's an expert tracker and this Mm -hmm. helps him in his work as a tracker. But there's this really nice connection between Master Yoda, I think, and uh, Saint Pio, Padre Pio, that I I like to draw people's attention to because, and you need to know about Quinlan Voss to understand this one. Yoda is speaking in the novel Dark Disciple, which Quinlan Voss is a pretty main character in. And Yoda makes the comment that the history of items does the Force permit Voss to understand. And that's that gift of psychometry that I was just explaining. And then Yoda continues and he says, The history of a soul does the force permit me to understand. Mm. So basically what we have there is is Yoda having this this wonderful gift that he could read into a soul. So he was reading into Quinlan Voss's soul to see about the light and the darkness in his soul in a way that no other Jedi was able to do. And this reminded me instantly of Padre Pio. People are always trying to tell me that Star Wars isn't real, you know. But here's a fun thing, (laughs) you know, with Padre Pio, I mean, this this is an element in which you get this really cool connection. St. Pio would sit in the confessional and he had the ability to read souls. So people would come to confession and they'd admit to some sins and St. Pio was able to know whether they were truly sorry for them or not. He was even able to list for them some of the sins that they didn't confess. Even uh, I heard one report of an individual who didn't remember a past sin and St. Pio brought it up to him and he said, I, I didn't do that. So and he continued with his confession and St. Pio brought it up again and he, he denied it and said, I, I didn't do that because he sincerely didn't remember it. Mm-hmm. And then St. Pio went on to explain the details of where he was, who he was around, the context of it, and that brought the memory back to the man's mind. And he right. said, you're right, I did this. So, you know, that that gift of reading souls that St. Pio had, you know, we see this in Yoda. So again, you have media, you have Star Wars imitating the truths of what we have in Catholicism. And sometimes it seems incredibly sensational. Oh, that's just fiction. But it's awesome how fact in the Catholic Church can even be more impressive. Yeah, that just really blows my mind how many comparisons we can have. You know, we have the the self-sacrifice of a lot of the characters. We can compare that with Christ. We have this connection between Yoda and Padre Pio. You talked a lot before about the Jedi Council. I didn't even realize when you said there was 12 members. I consider myself a pretty big Star Wars geek, but I, I didn't realize there was 12 members on there. So all these things, we, we see all these different comparisons, but I think the one that's really the biggest for me is the comparison of Darth Sidious and Satan. And I think this is a a really big one and a really, really powerful comparison that I think once you kind of look into the character, you can really see it just kind of unfold between your eyes. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of is just some basic things. We we see the comparison of Darth Sidious's lies and corruption. We see this a lot in especially the original trilogy a little bit and then really, really in the prequels. We see it as he's trying to corrupt Anakin into mm-hmm. his, his power. And he's using his different pawns of all the different 
all of his different servants and, and tricking them and using them to build Anakin into Darth Vader and the future follower that he would be. But he, he tricks them into doing his bidding and he promises this power, but in the end it always offers death, whether their own death or someone close to them, it always offers that. And so we see this idea of sacrifice, the sacrifice of love that Anakin's laying down. He's convinced to sacrifice Padme and Obi-Wan, even though he didn't realize he was sacrificing Padme. Mm -hmm. The killing of the, the innocent children and the sacrifice of the entire Jedi Order, which he had grown to love, over this idea of selfishness, this promise of more power. And he kind of follows this in, in the hopes of saving Padme, and that's kind of the illusion that he tells himself and that Darth Sidious tells him. But in the end, I think it definitely comes down to this this pride for desire for more power. And I think that's definitely a major part of it. But do you want to talk a little bit about Anakin and Darth Sidious in the... the Galaxy's Opera the House? Opera House. Thank you. Yes. You want to talk about the Opera House? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you definitely hit on it a lot. There's a lot of connections between Darth Sidious, Palpatine, and Satan that are, are really <laughs> ripe to be plucked and, and discussed. But, yeah, that moment, I believe it's the longest scene in any Star Wars film, is that temptation scene in the Galaxy's Opera House when Palpatine mm. is basically undermining the depths of Anakin. And he does that by including elements of truth. And he does that by appealing to Anakin's, the goodness in Anakin, you know, People don't choose, typically, I suppose, don't choose to do evil for the sake of doing evil. We don't mm -hmm. wake up in the morning and say, I want to hurt somebody today. Instead, we choose evil because we see something good in it. We see an advantage for us, maybe pleasure for us, maybe opportunity for us, a chance to make money, get ahead, you know, whatever it may be. We see something good in the sinful action and we choose it because we want the good thing. What ends up happening is it corrupts, it destroys, it hurts others, it hurts ourselves, hurts our relationships with God causes all kinds of problems, but that's one of the reasons why I think the Catechism talks about sin being an offense not only against God, etc., but also against truth, is if we could reason perfectly, clearly, have clarity of thought uh, in everything that we did, we would not sin probably because we would see the negative effects of all of our sin. In this case, like you alluded to with Anakin, you know, his primary thing seems to be that he wants to save Padme from death right. because he's having these dreams that she's going to die. But the other things that Palpatine draws out in this is order and peace. Those are big things that Vader yeah. ends up turning to. So, it, like you said, he was, became attached for the sake of the Republic. You know, so it, this whole thing is is a great big mess orchestrated by Palpatine to gain greater power to bring around about the downfall of the Jedi, to destroy them, to wipe out good, etc. And it's this incredibly elaborate plan that, that could have fallen apart at so many levels. But Palpatine is able to achieve this, which is quite impressive, I think. When I'm exploring this topic, one of my favorite things to consider is in the baptismal rite, when the congregation is asked, do you reject Satan? I do. And all of his works, I do. If you can think back to episode three with Revenge of the Sith, you have the situation where Palpatine is orchestrating all of this stuff, trying to make everything come about, and he's talking to Anakin, and the biggest thing is saving Padme from death. And he says, you know, 
we should be able to do this. But he, what he doesn't tell Anakin, and as soon as Anakin turns and he becomes Darth Vader and he pledges himself to Darth Sidious, that's when Darth Sidious admits, you know what, that's the power only one has achieved. But I'm confident that if we work together, we can we can do this too. He doesn't tell Anakin earlier on that he doesn't know how to do that. Right. He doesn't actually have the power to do it. It's a total empty promise. Mm -hmm. And it ends up costing everything in the end. I mean, interestingly, the reason that we get for why Padme dies in the first place is because as the medical droid tells us. She has lost the will. The public is falling and the Grand Empire is rising. This is what kills Padme. So interestingly, he's a trying to save her and what kills her is everything that he did. And I think that this is true for us, that our sins do the exact same thing. When we fall for that empty promise, things just fall apart rather than us achieving what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think there's something that really reminds me of kind of the original sin here. So there's the line of when Anakin asks, is it possible to learn this power? And Darth Sidious responds, not from a Jedi. You know, so it's similar to this temptation that Satan gives to Eve, you know, and also similar to the temptations that we have still today. And we, we kind of fall to this lie that God is holding something back from us, something good that will make our lives better. And it's the same with Sidious convincing Anakin that the Jedi were holding back some kind of good power that would have been able to save the person that he loved. He believed that they were holding it back, and this was his way of attaining that by following with Palpatine. And we do that same thing. We get this idea that God is just trying to stop us from having fun, or he's trying to impose all these rules on us. And so we kind of turn against him sometimes, and we get this idea that we know better than he does. Mm -hmm. And just like Anakin, we are left feeling in even more pain. We, a lot of times, experience more suffering and loss. And ultimately less joy because when we reject God, we leave ourselves with, with this emptiness rather than fulfillment that we expected. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings us right back to where we started with this episode, that even the best people can fall, but again, there's hope. It's never too late. Redemption is always available through Christ's sacrifice, the love that he extends to us, and the salvation available through the church. Absolutely. And with that, we're going to go ahead and leave you guys with a challenge. So the challenge for the week is if you want to Kind of just look into your life and where are those temptations happening for you? Where are you kind of looking at God and saying, you know what? I think I know better than you. And what what are, are you kind of feeling that you can kind of do to turn that around right now? Maybe you're realizing, well, I, I fell and you need to seek that forgiveness. We'll go to reconciliation. If, if you haven't gone during Advent already, I encourage you to get in there and seek that forgiveness or reconciliation. But kind of just take some reflections on you and, and where is... You're Darth Sidious tempting you right now. What is the temptation in your life that you need to kind of overcome? And if you need to talk to someone about that, talk to a priest or a spiritual director, uh, make sure you're making that step too. So with that, do we have any final shout outs? You know, I just I want to invite anybody who's interested to go ahead and connect with me. Uh, you can find me at anthonydigman.com. That's A-N-T-H-O-N-Y. D-I-G-M-A-N-N.com. I've got several things up about Star Wars there. I'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Always interested in having chats online, making new friends. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to connect with you. Yeah, check them out for sure. I always say that most of the, the stuff that I, I learn and, and use in my youth ministry has come from kind of the, the junior, senior year here at Beckman when I had you in class. So a lot of that is really formative for me. So he definitely knows what he's talking about, and it goes a lot further than Star Wars and, and Catholicism. So take advantage of that. Reach out to him and, and see where, 
where you can fit with that too. So I have one shout out. So we learned this week that we have listeners now in six different countries, the newest of which is Russia. So if you're the listener in Russia, I want to give you a shout out for listening to our podcast and give it a shot. Hopefully you're still listening. Uh, we'll see in the next couple of weeks whether that is the case or not. But we're glad you gave it a shot and make sure you guys are sharing this with people. If you have any recommendations or you want to hear a specific movie or song or TV show and hear us talk about that, please, please, please let us know. We have the email down in the notes section. You can let us know. Just reach out to us, tell us what you want to hear, and we'll do our best to get that out to you guys. So thanks again for joining us on the adventure, and we'll see you guys soon.